All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. How are you? Are you okay? Are you doing all right? Man, I've got to assume that everyone's tired of this shit. And by shit, I mean this fucking president. Anyway, today on the show, I talked to, uh, well, I'm going to talk to J.K. Simmons, the actor. You know him. He was in Whiplash, Juno, Oz, Law and Order. Uh, he just did a, a movie called Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. He's on the Apple TV Plus series Defending Jacob right now. He's, uh, he's an upfront dude, man. Straight ahead, straightforward. No bullshitting. So that's happening. That's going to happen. You're going to hear that happen in your head. Got to confess, I, uh, I did something crazy. I really, I did something crazy. And I don't, I'm fucking going to have to get another test because I don't know if it was worth risking my life for, but I went and had my car washed. Can you fucking believe that? What is wrong with me, man? I went and had my car washed. I took it to the place. It's not as good as it used to be, but it was that was before COVID even. They sold it and no one goes there anymore, but whatever. Watched it go through the machine, just like old days, just like old times. That weird, strange feeling of pride as if you're doing something, watching your car go through the machine, through the brushes, thinking like, look at that. Look what I'm, this is great. I'm doing something. I'm out in the world. Then it goes out and the guys dry it and then they open the door and they get in your car. Other human beings that I don't know getting in my car to wash it, to clean it, in my car. But everyone's wearing masks. And when they got done, I walked over, I tipped them, I uh, kept all the doors open, then I opened all the windows, and then I brought with me a spray bottle filled with alcohol, and I sprayed the inside of the car a bit, misted it with alcohol, drove away quickly with my mask on, with alcohol fumes kind of filling the car, and then air coming in from the outside. I think I got away. I think I got away with it. I don't know. <coughs> Uh-oh. Where's the thermometer? Where's the fucking thermometer? Quick. You guys, look, I, 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 I'm grieving the loss of a loved one. And I know a lot of you people are, are up to your fucking necks with your loved ones. You've had it. You're at the end of your goddamn rope with your loved ones. Because how could you not be? I mean, when is this shit going to stop? How much can you take of your loved ones? Am I right? Cherish every moment. That I can tell you right now from somebody who is dealing with loss. And that's not an unusual thing to say, but it's it's hard, you know, the cherishing every moment, the living every moment, the being grateful for every moment, the, the sort of like uh, make sure you know how amazing it is to be alive. Warren Zevon said, enjoy every sandwich. Fine. But five months of sandwiches, come on. It would take a fucking saint, am I right? I'm sorry. What I meant to say is like, I know things are difficult for some of you in terms of, you know, the stress of proximity. But I also think that probably some of you are going pretty deep. You're going pretty deep. Probably deeper than you ever imagined possible with your significant others, with your children with yourself. But again, five months is a long time and maybe 
We've all, it's time to rappel out. It's time to climb back out. Gone deep enough. Let's get back to some surface shit. God, I got to assume that people are just, just, just craving passing attention from strangers even. Just the, the feeling of walking by some people at the mall and you can see their faces. Remember? I, I imagine some of us are missing behavior that borders on inappropriate. You looking at me? I, yeah. Mild flirtations. Office crushes. You can hang in there. We're, we're okay. We're okay. All right? Talking to Lipsite last night. We have our nightly phone call. Me and Lipsite. Sam. Got a new book out. We're just riffing. Talking about public bathrooms. Because he went out into the world for the first time in months to his office. And he, he, he owned up to uh, using a public restroom. And I was like, dude, I fucking used a bathroom on the way home from Albuquerque at a rest area in the Mojave Desert, man. Just a bunch of trucks parked in the lot. People coming and going. Had to go. Yeah, and I had to do that one. Yep. Who knows? But I think I'm okay with the COVID. No one was in there. Door was open. Had my mask on. They had those little things that you put on the toilet seat. I don't know what that stops, but COVID is not the issue there. Going to get some sort of like trucker butt. And we started <laughs> trucker eczema. We just started riffing on what one could possibly get from a trucker's ass. And uh, I came up with the winning answer, and that was rig chiggers. Got to watch out for those rig chiggers. <laughs> That's... <laughs> You sit on the trucker toilet, you can get some rig chiggers. Winner. Bing, bing, bing. (laughs) Uh, Cried to Sam Rockwell. I did that. I went down into the bunker at DreamWorks to record some uh, voiceover stuff for uh, this movie that I'm doing. Animated movie, Bad Guys. It's me and Sam Rockwell and uh, Aquafina and I believe uh, Craig Robinson now and but you rarely read with the people, but they like when me and Sammy read together. And I met Sammy a couple of times and I've interviewed him and he was in a Lynn Shelton movie and I hadn't seen or talked to him since then. And it wasn't that he was there. They fed him in on video. It's very clean there. No one was there. I was the only one. There's a sound engineer, the guy who walked me down into the bunker and me. Very clean, very safe. And they brought Sammy in on the video and then you got the producers on, you got the director on, you got the sound guy on, you got the um, like five or six people on. And I saw Sammy and he said, you know, how you doing? And he's talking about Lynn and I just lost it. I started crying. I said, it's hard, Sammy. It's hard. He said, I know, man. I can't imagine. Had some time with Sammy in front of all those people and... um Sadly, they're not going to be able to use it for the character. Um, the, the, the sort of uh, criminal snake character I'm playing, uh, there's no use for tears, so we don't have a blowout moment. Nope. But stay strong. Be there for each other. It's important. I'm here by myself. It's not great. Don't love it. Dealing with it. Don't like it. It's scary somehow. Is it though? Is that what it is? Loneliness? Is loneliness scary? No. It's not so much that it's scary. It's just sort of like, okay, I guess I'm just going to walk over here now and eat this. 
All right, look at me. I'm sitting on my couch. It's my couch. I like my couch. This is a good couch. I'm glad I got rid of that old couch. I guess I'll just watch this movie that's on in the middle. I guess I'll watch it. I feel like I just watched Munich. So Jewy. Oh, 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 God. Okay. All right. So, listen, let's do this now. Uh, J.K. Simmons, the actor, uh, is in this uh, Apple TV Plus show, Defending Jacob. That's on now. Palm Springs, the film, is streaming on Hulu. And uh, this is me talking to J.K. Simmons, coming up. J.K. Mark. Is that what you, is that what people call you? That what's, that's what they say to you? They go, hey, J.K.? Uh, Yes, generally speaking, there are a variety of nicknames that people who've known me, you know, more than forty years might use. Yeah, but uh, right. we haven't we haven't known each other that long, so you, you know we've known of. each other literally thirty seconds, I think, roughly. But no one calls you by your name name. No, I don't get a lot of Jonathan or uh, <laughs> except that. actually that's it's a good thing too because when I get you know a random phone call and it says or email or whatever it says Jonathan then I know it's going to be BS. Yeah. Right, that guy doesn't know me. Yeah, not reading that shit. <laughs> when did what? But when did you become JK? How does that happen? I've I've never gotten that. Uh, I've never gotten abbreviated or I kind of wish I had. Wish I had a nickname. How does that happen? It happened actually. Every time I joined an actors' union, they would take away part of my name because somebody <laughs> else already had it. So, so by the time I finally got around to uh, joining SAG for for a job uh-huh. that I ended up not doing um, and and paying money that I could not afford on my regional theater actor salary to join SAG and have my name taken away, I just J.K. actually kind of made sense. Uh, uh, my my father had occasionally called me jk or jake when i was a kid jake and uh yeah i said yeah that's one of the nicknames that some of the some of the old pals call me actually i like that jake's a good name i gave it away yeah so literally when he signed up for the union they're like no we got a jonathan simmons we got a john simmons we got a jonathan k simmons (laughs) jay kimball simmons yeah all yeah all taken None of them popular actors. That's the thing is uh, all your names are taken, but you don't know who the fuck those guys are. Yeah. Well, but you know, maybe they're making a living somewhere. Uh, well, that's know. true. That's, I mean, you know, doing what I was doing for 20 years before anybody heard of me. I know it's like, it's sort of astounding that you, uh, you hung in and seemingly uh, didn't get miserable and bitter and resentful, but I don't know you that well. And, <laughs> and, uh, Perhaps I try it's... to keep that only in private, only for those near and dear to me. So I, so, so I only really annoy, you know, yeah, it's a, the uh, the close people. Yeah, that's how you test your family. That's what. Yeah, that's absolutely. For. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, where did you where did you come from? Uh, born in Detroit. On the, well, okay, I have to say Gross Point, but then people see Mansion. So I was born in the slums of Gross Point. Yeah. Uh, Detroit adjacent. And then uh, and then spent several years in central Ohio growing up and then a few years in Montana, went to college there. So you don't remember Detroit. You would think like Detroit would have uh, been something. No, I do. Yeah. 
I mean, I was 10 years old when we left there, still a big Tigers fan and all that. So, but, but it's really, it's mostly a baseball team to me at this point. We don't really have any uh, family or friends back there anymore. So, yeah, I like to, I, I'm always curious to talk to people from Detroit in its heyday because it sounded like, you know, industrial, the industrial period of Detroit must have been amazing, but then just the rock and roll period must have been amazing. But, yeah, uh, but it was yeah. I was ten, so it was. Yeah. I mean, my rock Just and roll period was in uh, was in the suburbs of Columbus when my dad was teaching at Ohio State. Oh yeah, I did have a couple of bands. Uh, you were in bands? Yeah, sure. One was co- well, a, a duo and a trio. We were. I was very acoustic and 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 very mediocre. Uh-huh. Um, we we wrote some some original crying dying going away love songs and stuff and did a what lot. What year of, was this? How old were you? Was this, this was, the sixties? Yeah, 68, 69, 70, yeah, you know, early mid teens. Um long hair. Do you have the long hair? Oh, I had the hair. I had the had the beard as soon as I could grow it, you know, the oh, scruffy beard coming in. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, I went from went from jock to hippie freak uh at about Overnight. that age. What, what? Just yeah. <laughs> just just had to happen. Blew out my knees, which was which was a blessing in disguise. And you know, I was like, okay, football wasn't you know quite as fun as I was pretending it was anyway. So I'm just gonna turn on, tune in, drop out, and play play rock and roll. So you started as a, like a jockey guy. I started as a uh, lousy guitarist, singer, songwriter, and uh, and then uh, yeah, when I got out of high school, I, I ended up. Uh, I thought I was super cool and uh and i and i got a gig on my at ohio university as a uh disc jockey on a not even the campus radio station that was uh, each green had its own tiny little radio station that basically broadcast to three different dorms so i was doing the graveyard shift doing my progressive <laughs> rock you know playing like entire album sides of Emerson yeah, for, for palmer's a, first album and, you for know, 12 people who might have been a, awake uh, yeah, that 12 was optimistic, yeah. But that was great. Well, it's so funny because when I said jockey, I thought like I was talking about football. So you, you blew out your knees in high school. So that was behind you. And then we end yeah. up, you know, turns out, you know, you're a long haired, uh, you know, but you're not even going to the college. You just got a gig being the DJ. No, no, no. I was going to the college. I, I, oh, okay. I, uh, I snaggled away to get out of high school a year early, actually, and uh, and started at OU when I was just such a child, you know, now looking back. Were you playing coffee houses? Uh, my friend and I had played coffee houses. My friend, uh, Randy and I had played coffee houses in high school. Right. Uh, and we were at OU together, but didn't, uh, didn't really continue that. At least we didn't get any gigs. I don't remember if we kind of still strummed around a little bit. Do you remember when Kent state happened? Oh, all, all too vividly. Yeah. My, uh, uh, we were, uh, I would have been a freshman in high school, I guess, 1970, um, in Columbus, you know, at Ohio yeah. state. And we had, uh, I mean, and there were things going on there, uh, uh, not, uh, you know, with the same awful consequences, but, uh, you know, a lot of student protests and stuff going on there and, uh, and the, you know, the cops shooting beanbags at people and, uh, quelling the, the crowd. And your dad was, uh, he taught there. My dad taught at Ohio State for several years before he uh, went out and uh, became the the head honcho at the uh, University of Montana. Yeah, not head hon, not like president of the university. I mean, he was right head of the music department. Well, I mean, that's let's not diminish that. That's very important. No, no, no. It was it was it was a great gig for him. And Montana <laughs> yeah. was uh, was a beautiful thing for our our whole family of five, and then six ultimately with my uh, my mom's mom 
ended up joining us when our grandpa oh my passed away. And we had a whole Waltons thing going on there for a while. You have many siblings you have? Uh, older sister, younger brother. So my little brother was in high school. My sister and I both transferred to University of Montana and we all ended up graduating from there. And yeah, we lived under one roof again after my sister and I had both been away from home wow. uh, for another two or three years. But so you got lucky with the, uh, it seems, with the parental draw in that uh, it seems like that they were encouraging uh, of the arts and that there wasn't, there couldn't have been much resistance given that that was your dad's job. Yeah. And they had met in college actually in a uh, musical theater production, Kismet, as it turns out, literally. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, yeah, they were, they definitely encouraged us and we all, uh, you know, at least dabbled in uh, the arts and performing arts. And uh, did your mom I, stay in the arts? No. Well, she stayed in the arts as an administrator for a while at, uh, at Ohio state. And then with the, uh, the arts council in Montana and then, uh, and then more in the business sector after that. Um, but yeah, they were always big supporters and, uh, and uh, continued to, uh, you know, leave a real, legacy in that way in uh, in missoula montana missoula i just talked to somebody else from missoula who the hell was that dana carby is he from there yeah that's the one guy you know well he grew, i don't even we haven't even met but he, he grew up there i didn't i didn't move there until i was in college i always picture montana to be uh uh beautiful it is indeed uh don't 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 tell anybody else though because they don't want more people there do you, do you have a place there still or anything <sighs> no we yeah we've thought off and on over the years about getting the place but we just you know we go there almost every summer and visit and uh, uh, either missoula or up on the lake and uh, yeah. started doing my summer theater there so i have a lot of friends i've had for you know 40 years or more now that uh, that we go back and and uh, have little mini reunions oftentimes in the summer up there it is uh, it is beautiful yeah i gotta get up there before i don't know someday when we can when we can all move freely if that day ever comes. Yeah. I, I noticed on the credits, I was looking at some of your credits that you've already, you've already uh, done a voiceover for a, a COVID informational video. Yeah. That was weird because we did, it's a, it's a, a Netflix show called explained where they explain different, you know, scientific things, you know, rocket science, you know? Right. Um, and I did, and this was over a year and a half ago now, like, more than a year before COVID hit the United States, uh, the uh, the really? topic was pandemics in general. Huh. Yeah, and and the thrust of the show that I narrated was was kind of like, hey, we're not ready. Uh, we, oh wow, we could be, maybe we should be, but not a, not just the U.S. Nowhere, I mean, the world is not ready for, for a pandemic. What the scientists kept saying was, you know, an inevitability, a, a not if but when kind of scenario, and then. Oh, yeah. And it happened. Uh, shortly, shortly after it happened here, we uh, we did a little uh, home recording uh, update on, and made it a little more, uh, you know, coronavirus specific. So it was uh, not a happy recording session, but, uh, no. but uh, hopefully a helpful one. Where are you holed up? Uh, we're holed up in L.A. now. We were all our kids are in college in New York. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I. Uh, stalking them as all good parents do at that age right uh we had well we had met in new york and done broadway and you know sure. uh, uh, love new york so so we got a place in new york uh, a little over a year ago and the four of us were there just at the time when new york became the epicenter so we uh got out i i rode my bike 
on the last day before everything just shut down, every non-essential uh-huh. thing shut down, I, uh, I rode a bike to Queens and uh, got a minivan, threw my bike in the back of it, so went back to our apartment and uh, you know threw a bunch of junk in there. Our son, we were pretty sure, had been exposed. Well, he had been exposed. Turns out he uh-huh. was not. Uh, he didn't have the virus, but we thought he did. So really? my wife, uh, my wife went full on MacGyver and manufactured this like boy in a bubble kind of thing for him uh, with a bunch of old, you know, plastic recycling and duct tape that we had. Really, stuck, we stuck him in the third row of the minivan, and uh, and the four <laughs> of us, you know, pedal to the metal uh, from uh, from New York to L.A. in about uh, two days. Uh, with the kid in a bubble. With with the boy in the bubble and and the and the girl up oh as far away God. as she could be from the bubble in the passenger seat and me doing most of the driving and the, and the, oh my God my wife uh, my wife partly documenting some of it and then uh, and then you know uh, when when we stopped for gas once she commandeered the driver's seat and made me take a break but yeah I mean we just we just got out and. Uh, of course, now we're in the new epicenter in uh, Southern California, so yay. Well, the, I guess there's really no benefit other than it's easier to isolate here in Southern California. Yeah, that's and, definitely the, having a backyard. and. Uh, yeah, I mean, New York, there's no way you can avoid anybody ever. Yeah. There, you know, that was just built for, uh, you know, spread. But uh, how'd, that, uh, how, how'd your son feel when he found out he didn't have it and spent, uh, you know... Yeah, 42 right, hours yeah. on the road in no. a bubble and of course we couldn't you know testing was not available so we didn't find out until uh, maybe two months later you know he and i both finally got <laughs> tested and got tested for the antibodies and we were like Nothing. wait what he didn't have it his roommate had it and 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 you know do you get still sick can, is he all right is, is, no he's, no the roommate uh, still cannot smell or taste anything which a lot of people especially back then didn't know that was a uh, one of the symptoms. Oh God, um, it's just so fucking terrifying every day to be alive right now. That's it's it's just daunting. Yeah, um, daunting. That's a good word. Yeah. But, uh, the, the good word. The good news is Ben did not get really sick. The bad news is he can't smell or taste. But again, the good news is you know then why not eat nothing but broccoli and spinach if you can't taste it anyway? So he's been super right. healthy since then. Get in shape. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no pleasure in eating. So <laughs> so. <laughs> Might as well get in turn shape. Into Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. Now, when did you shift from a uh, bad singer songwriter into acting? Hey, not just mediocre. Not bad. Oh, I'm, not, sorry, I'm, on, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mediocre. Uh, I apologize. I, <laughs> I it was my. I transitioned from uh, you know acoustic coffee house uh, James Taylor wannabe into uh, classical Leonard Bernstein. Pavarotti wannabe and uh, oh, singing. studied huh? studied classical music in in college, uh, which is singing was, though, like opera my or, dad's or... milieu. Yeah, uh, huh. singing, composing, conducting. Oh wow! You know, really? All of it. Uh, how are you? How are you at the site reading music? Good. Uh, used to be adequate. Uh, you know, it's one of those muscles I haven't used in a long time. Although when when Whiplash came around, uh, whatever that was, five years ago or so. Uh, Damien and I first met to talk about me doing that and uh and I had read the script and you know was you know not an idiot so I was in love with it and wanted to do it and the first thing he wanted to assure me was that uh that I shouldn't worry too much about the technical aspects of being a conductor and a musician and we could fake a lot of that and we'd have a body double and a, yeah. and a technical advisor and all that and I was like 
dude, I have a college degree in conducting and composing and singing. He was like, what? So, so that was, I mean, that was one of the coolest aspects of that gig, especially as we were doing it. Uh, That's crazy. You were, was, just, you were the uh, guy. I, yeah. I was actually reading those charts and, and, you know, we were, and all the guys, all the musicians, and I say guys, cause you know, it was 99% guys. Right. Um, those were all actors slash musicians. They weren't, you know, the music we were making isn't as great as the final mix sounds, but, uh, but during all those band scenes, we were, we were really cranking out the tunes and, and I wasn't just waving my arms around. I actually kind of knew what I was doing. Right. And you, it's why it's interesting because it's, it's probably not something it would take the effort it would take to fake. Well, would have been extraordinary. Yeah. That's always been one of my, one of my growing list of pet peeves uh, that you see in films is, you know, somebody, you know, playing a, a baseball player who, you know, clearly, you know, has never swung a bat until he, you know, picked it up to, <laughs> to do that or, or musicians, right. I mean, conductors and, and musicians, I mean, it's such a hard thing to fake, you know, uh, it really because, is because you're usually playing, obviously a character who performs at a, at a high level. So I just uh, did a film. I was in, uh, I played Jerry Wexler in this upcoming Aretha Franklin film and wow. with uh, Jennifer Hudson. So there's all the muscle shoals scenes and right. they hired to play Spooner and, and Dave and all those guys, they hired real musicians. So like all the dudes could play. That's and, a beautiful and thing. That's that's the way to do it. It really is. It's it's not like they and they you know they had a few lines. They, there is you are kind of there's a, a balance to it. It's like they're going to look like they're playing, but you don't want them to talk too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're the musician actor crossover rarely successful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you study music and you're you're studying singing, composing, and is this like a, a and your dad must be thrilled. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you know it took me a while to wrap my brain around that. That's what I really wanted to do because it just seemed so, Oh, I want to be like daddy, you know? So, which is why I didn't gravitate towards right. it immediately, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Ultimately. And my brother, uh, my younger brother got a degree in music too. And he's a, a, a real Renaissance man, you know, singer, performer, writer, conductor, teacher, uh, all around world saver. Uh, oh really? In, uh, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the UBU Project dot org, um, and uh, and uh, our sister, yeah, also uh, dabbled in a lot and ended up uh, having a career as a college professor. She just retired from uh, University of Washington. How's your brother doing? That that place is a COVID shit show right now. Yeah, well, I mean, like everybody else, he's uh, doing a lot of Zoom and a lot of uh, this and that, and uh, uh, you know just hunkered down and uh, trying to get through it. it. It's feeling more and more to me like uh, hibernation here uh, and just, uh, you know, yeah. waiting People for are spring, that. which, which will come, I guess, with the, with the vaccine, I guess. Hopefully. I mean, people, people are definitely getting a little squirrely. I can tell you that. Yeah. So, all right. So when do you start, uh, where do you start training as an actor? Well, I, uh, I, I did a musical theater, community theater production of Oliver uh, when I was a music student playing the pivotal role of the knife grinder. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I had like, a, 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 you know, an eight-bar solo. Very exciting. And then uh, the guy that directed that, uh, uh, an old pal, Jim Karen, was uh, directing at this summer theater in Big Fork, Montana, looking for a music director. So 
I got the gig as the music director, and then they asked if I'd also audition for the shows, and I was unwisely cast as the lead in Brigadoon. Yeah. Because uh, I could sing, and, uh, and that was the beginning of me being a terrible uh, but passionate and willing to learn young actor. Ah, so we, so not mediocre, but truly bad. Oh, absolutely awful. And, uh, and <laughs> so, such a blessing that there's no video from those days. Um, but you could sing, right? I could sing uh, and, uh, and I had hair. Uh, and so I was, uh, you know, I did a lot of sort of musical leading man things. I was there for four, four years, uh, during college and after college, going back to the big fork summer playoffs, uh, doing my thing and learning and having some great mentors, Jim, Karen, and Todd Peters, and uh, got to work with some, some really wonderful directors who were sort of age appropriate and, uh, and uh, you know, taught me how to be less terrible. So you, you mean as an actor? As, as an actor and a human being, yeah. And so like, did you, so like, cause I, like, I, when I watch a lot of your roles and I've, I've watched your work, you seem to be like a sort of like, you know, uh, like almost like a practical actor. Like it seems like you've got a set of tools that you apply and you transform your emotional spectrum appropriately and your intensity appropriately. It seems like that it, 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 it seems like you 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 lock in a certain way. Well, and I've learned certainly from from a lot of people since then, too. You know, I mean, uh, up to and including Damien Chazelle and, you know, all, some of the great directors that I've had an opportunity to work with Jason Reitman and the Cone brothers and Sam Raimi. And, uh, uh so you learned something you know, from all the directors. They actually mold yeah, you I somehow. I think so. Certainly, uh, certainly back in my theater days, you know, working with Jerry Zachs on Broadway. And, uh, I mean, I, one of the things I preach and try to practice is, uh, you know, I mean, to be open to learning something new every day at work or every day, whatever in life. So when was the so when, what is the sort of trajectory you were after Montana? Where do you go to pursue acting? Really, a lot of people from Montana did what I did and went to Seattle, which was kind of the, the nearest, you know, big city with a, a especially at that time, you know, late 70s, a, a real burgeoning performing arts community there. And yeah. Stumbled into my uh, union card, actors equity card at, uh, at Seattle Rep. And I was in Seattle for almost five years before I uh, finally got up the nerve to, uh, to go try New York City. So Seattle Rep, and that was like you were just um, doing, you know, a, a rotation of plays. Well, uh, it wasn't actually a repertory company by the time oh. uh, I, I got my card there. It was, it was, you know, one show at a time. So, uh, I, and I got my equity card as an understudy in a production that I, you know, was never on stage in and, uh, and then worked at a, at a few different, I worked at Seattle rep, you know, uh, a few other times in small roles and at ACT, there was a dinner theater there at the time, an equity dinner theater. So uh -huh. free food eight times sure. a week. That was, you know, yeah, it was a great, uh, a great beginning and, and really equipped me well for, uh, for, you know, another, even after I moved to New York, I was basically doing regional theater for another seven or eight years before I got my first Broadway show. And when like regional theater, generally those are, you know, what, what characterizes it? Is it just accessible productions for older people in, in other <laughs> 
that boy, you bring it really, to them. You're really selling it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear no, it a lot. It's not just the blue hairs. It's, uh, uh, I mean, look, every, every, you know, decent sized city in the country has, uh, you know, professional theater going on with, uh, you know, usually a combination of local actors and sometimes, you know, imported talent from New York, LA, whatever. I, I mean, I worked, uh, uh, you know, I went back to Seattle and did a show there. I worked in whatever, Atlanta, Austin, Buffalo. Yeah, but, but what Albany. would they hire? You? How did that work though? You would just get well, cast. Yeah. You, in, they in, would, they would have casting sessions in, uh, in New York and LA. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, I got to know, uh, enough different casting directors in New York got to know me that, that saw me in different ways. You know, one guy would see me as the musical leading guy. One guy saw me as a, you know, Shakespeare guy. Another person saw me as a, you know, so I, so I actually was able to have a, you know, pretty well-rounded career as a theater actor, um, and not get pigeonholed too much. And, and yeah, I mean, you'd go back to New York, you'd wait tables or 10 bar or whatever. And, you know, uh, play softball in Central Park during the day and, and wait, you know, for another audition, get a gig, go to Buffalo for, you know, four weeks of rehearsal and a four week run and then go back and do it all over again. Yeah. I didn't like, I didn't mean to come off as condescending. I guess what I'm confusing certain things with like regional theater is really, it's real theater. Every city's got it's, it's, it's theater. And it's usually a, a, a nine times out of 10, it's a well-operated, well, you know, sound, structure you know that some some of them have been around forever and uh they're just doing real shows like i think i'm confusing it with uh like in my mind it was dinner theater where you're doing some sort of shtick with uh yeah yeah well and, <laughs> which i certainly did uh, there was you know some dinner theater as i already have confessed to uh right mixed, right mixed in there um where i did uh i played the third night from the left in camelot uh-huh. And yeah. uh and also did a play uh, an old uh, chestnut called Bell Book and Candle. Um uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, no, yeah. most of it was most of it was regional theaters, you know, doing doing really good work. And believe me, there's there, you know, well, not right now. I mean, right now, good lord, stage actors are among, you know, the most devastated group in this because there there ain't no work for them and, and you That's can't right. even go pick up a gig, you know, tending bar or waiting tables. So right. But uh but you know, in a non COVID world, uh you know, there's thousands of actors that most people haven't seen, you know, making a living out there doing uh, doing good work in regional theater. And and would you like would you have you considered yourself one of those actors for a good chunk of your life or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For five years in Seattle and then another 13 years or so. And then and then I was, a, you know, a Broadway guy for five years. Really. What were some, what were some of the big shows? The, well, the first one, first one, not a big one. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> It was a, uh, yeah. <laughs> a little musical called A Change in the Air, H-E-I-R, uh-huh. subtitled A Musical Tale of Good and Medieval. Huh. And that was the funniest part of the show. The title. Yes. Uh, okay. It did not do well. In fact, uh, uh, the contract in those days, the production contract, the Broadway contract, uh, you had a four-week out you could give four weeks notice uh, right at least on the contract that we had yeah and i ended up giving my four weeks notice two weeks before we opened because the writing was on the wall uh that was terrible <laughs> among other notable things about it though was it was the first time my wife saw me 
because the show was so terrible that they were uh, papering the house, they call it, you know, giving away free tickets to all the other Broadway shows to come on their night off. So my wife yeah. was doing Cats at the time, an actual Broadway show. And uh, yeah, I'll she, say. She, she was among the people who subjected themselves to uh, an evening at uh, a change in the air. And she saw this magnetic, incredibly good-looking, charismatic, sexy guy up there. And uh, lo and behold, a couple of years later, then I did a, a big uh, revival of Guys and Dolls with uh, Jerry Zaks and Nathan Lane and Faith Prince and Peter Gallagher. Oh, that was a big show. That was group. fun, oh, right? It was, oh, it was huge. Still yeah. some of the most fun I've ever had in in the business or in life was uh, uh, rehearsals, really, and previews for that show and sitting around with that group of hilarious people listening to Jerry give notes. And uh, that was really, really, really fun. Yeah. And then uh, I did a few good men. I did the Peter Pan revival, which is where I finally met my wife and uh, Michelle Schumacher, by the way, um, uh -huh. I was captain hook and she was tiger Lily. Oh, there you uh, go. So we had a kind of an illicit romance going on there. Uh -huh. Then a Neil Simon play laughter on the 23rd floor with, uh, oh, yeah. with a really fun cast. Yeah. That was about the a writer's room, right? It was uh, loosely based on the old Sid Caesar Show writer's shows. room. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And that was uh, Nathan Lane. That was So Nathan and I did sort of two shows in a space of three years because uh, we did Guys and Dolls and then, uh, and then Laughter together. It's a great cast. John Slattery and Lou Stadlin. Oh, that guy's and, good. Yeah, yeah. Nathan's a great guy. I really like him. Really, really great guy. And, and so, you know, so like so unusual uh, i mean almost unique that that there's a guy who's like got a really really great career as mostly a theater actor you know i mean yeah. obviously nathan's done a lot of really great uh, you know tv and film stuff too but but you know to be uh, you know an actual theater star you know is, yeah uh, that's really his thing that's yeah. an unusual thing now yeah so now during all this broadway time you're going you're going to auditions Right for TV. Well, yeah, no, not really. I mean, no. uh, I was really happy to be where I was, and I'd never really even thought about a career in television or film. I, I did once Guys and Dolls hit, and we were—I mean, we were like the hit of the century. It was crazy. How the long that run? Like a year? Uh, no, I ran like four plus years. I mean, uh, you know, most of us end up leaving you know for greener pastures after a while and no matter how big a hit you're in you know when you're doing your 414th performance it, it's it's a little like punching the clock at the factory you know is that um, how many you did i i don't well let's see uh, from from the first rehearsal to when i left the show to move on was a year and a half i probably yeah I, yeah i probably did over 400 performances oh guys my god so how, yeah. how does that how are you not like hearing that in your sleep oh dude yeah i mean it 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 gets into your head sometimes. And even with laughter, which, which we did for like just under a year, 11 months. And then, and uh -huh. then uh, but still that's, you know, almost 400 cause you're doing eight a week. So, uh, and then I did on, on tour again um, with my wife, Michelle Schumacher. Well, that must've uh, made it better. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we're banking double per diem. Are you kidding me? We're shacked <laughs> up. I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah. no, it was great. Uh, but it wasn't really until laughter on the 23rd floor, which was my last Broadway show in 94. Yeah. So I'm already, I'm already pushing 40. Um, and, and most of the people in that show, Nathan, John Slattery, uh, Mark Lynn Baker, uh, you know, oh, yeah. most of those, most of those actors had, you know, theater and, 
screen. They'd done a lot of television, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And they were, they were getting, you know, mailbox money as we call it, you know, a residual check once in a while. And I was like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. So when that show uh, put up the closing notice, I I told my agent, I didn't want to audition for any more plays. I wanted to see if we could get some film and TV going and, a couple of lucky breaks came along with a, an episode of Homicide, Life on the Street, Tom Fontana sure. show that then yep. led to Oz and Law and Order and all that. Well, I mean, what about like, I, yeah, I, it seems like if you live in New York and you, you've got any chops at all, you're going to end up on one of those procedurals at least a few times. Oh, you read every playbill you go, you know, yeah, you see, you know, television <laughs> includes Law and Order. Yeah. What about the films? What was the first film? First, the very first film was The Ref. Dennis Leary's um, movie? Dennis Leary film. And and I had a... Uh, uh, was that John Demi? Did he direct that? No, it was Ted Demi. Ted, Ted Demi. right, Ted, right, yeah, Ted, his, yeah. His, his nephew. I remember um, that because, you know, d- that was a big break when, you know, I'm a comic. So when he got that, we were all like, oh, man, Leary doing right. it all. Yeah. yeah. No, it was his first big movie star. Thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he was great in it. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was a, a really terrifying and great experience because I was this, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm this whatever 40 ish, you know, average bald white guy. I don't look like it's my first rodeo, but I was, you know, I was like, I was shot out of a cannon. Of course, Ted, I mean, the directors, you know, I don't know how much younger than I was at the time, but, uh, you know, grew up in the business and, you know, uh, even, even at that time felt like a seasoned pro, uh, my scenes, uh, uh, some of my scenes were with, a like a 14 year old actor who had done, you know, 14 films. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it was, right. it was yeah. a little bass awkward, uh, in many ways, yeah, but, uh, right. but really fun experience. And Leary was great. He was, he was a, a really a great guy. So the TV though, it's interesting. Cause I think my first memory of you, the one I can't get out of my head I don't know if it's the first memory, but when you were tattooing a swastika on that guy's ass in a jail cell. Uh, wasn't that sweet? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm never going to be able to shake that. And, you know, I uh, this was uh, <laughs> my mother. My mother was so uh-huh. appalled uh, because and this didn't make the final cut because of because of a rights issue I get. But I was uh, as I was tattooing poor Beecher's buttocks. Yeah. Uh, on that show, um, I was humming a little lullaby that my mother had sung to me when I was a little boy. <laughs> called, Come on. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Hush, little baby. Yeah, 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 sure. Cry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want him to. Oh, my God. That show was but, so heavy, man. Uh, so twisted. And what was the name of that actor? Lee Turkison. Good actor, that guy. Lee Beach, a really good actor. Yeah, and he, yeah, I mean, he's he's still working a lot and keeping busy. And yeah, I mean, a lot of guys from that from that show I've uh, you know stayed in touch with over the years. That was and, a, a a long run. That was a that was an intense show, and that was an a, an intense character. I mean, that must have been an education in and of itself to stay in that oh, groove for that long. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a huge, uh, you know first of all, you know, put a lot of us on the map really for the yeah. first time. And and second of all, yeah, an education in, in many ways. And really we got spoiled in a lot of ways too, because the way that show was run, you know, largely because of uh, uh, budget limitations, you know, uh, yeah. the, the, the days there was no over, I mean, well, there was overtime, but there was, we didn't go over 12 hours. It was like 7am. The bell right. rings at 7pm. Everybody goes home. Guys were still doing Broadway shows. And oh, wow. Oz. At right. the same time, yeah, uh, 
you know, no, no long waits in between shots. It was like bang, 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 set it up. Cause we were shooting a, you know, 56, seven, eight minute show in a, in a seven day shoot. I mean, so, so yeah, we're shooting, you know, nine, 10 pages a day, a lot of the time. And it was, uh, uh, Oh my know, God, that's a lot. You'd, you'd get a take in and they'd go, okay, did anything fall on anybody's head? I mean, let's move on. You know, it's like, <laughs> So then when you, when you get onto a big film where they're actually, you know, taking two and a half hours to set up a, the lighting and, and oh. doing nine takes of something, you're like, oh, my God. It's tedious, so right? Yeah, absolutely. So where did they shoot? Did they shoot that at Silver Cup? Where did they shoot Oz? Like, where was no, that? It was, I don't know if Silver Cup even existed then. Well, it probably did. Uh, no, we shot the first, uh, we did six seasons. The first four we shot at the Flower Well Warehouse in Chelsea. Oh, on 9th Avenue. And, so they just uh, built sets in there and that was not even... They a... just rented the whole top floor of that warehouse, which was not anything like what it is today. I mean, it was just a few florists on the ground floor and a, and a bunch of, you know, uh, mostly unused offices. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, had a handshake deal with the landlord. Hey, if the show's a hit, you know, eh, don't worry, I won't screw you, you know. Right. So four years later, he tries to screw uh, Fontana. And uh, so <laughs> yeah. the last two years, yeah, we're going to quadruple the rent. What do you say? You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, the last two years, we shot on uh, on a pier in lovely Bayonne, New Jersey. Bayonne. So, yeah. So we went from like I was riding my bike to work. My wife and I were living. We got married. To, no, we, we got married like the year before Oz started. Yeah, uh, I'm riding my bicycle to work. We're having a, an hour walk away at lunch and you can actually walk away and go to one of the, you know, hundreds of restaurants in the neighborhood and, you know, run nice. off and do a voiceover audition, yeah. you know, in between shots. And then and then, you know, the last two years were marooned on an old military barracks in Bayonne. Um, it's so odd that like he chose to do it that way over a soundstage, I guess for, for budgetary reasons. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cheap rent. It was, uh, and honestly, now that I think of it, it was probably just cause Fontana could walk to work from there. Cause, uh, he was, <laughs> he was, he still lives in the neighborhood. So, and then what do you think was the, uh, like, so that puts you on the map. So what do you think was the big kind of uh, film break? for you where where because i remember i think it was probably juno for me in terms of remembering you know like who's that guy well that was huge i mean god bless jason reitman i was i was in his first movie uh which is a, a underseen and i think maybe underappreciated movie called thank you for smoking that's a good um, movie with uh yeah. who's that blonde guy what was the lead yeah, guy aaron yeah eckhart. aaron um, eckhart yeah that put Jason on the map and, and justifiably. So obviously he grew up in the business. He'd made a bunch of short films and uh, you know, that was another one of those experiences where I was kind of like, you know, still felt like a kid, like a beginner as a, as a film actor. And this guy who's, you know, I mean, I basically could be his father, you know, is, is like a mentor to me. He's got a good pace on those movies. There's like, oh, um, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's got, he definitely got a good feel for it. Absolutely. And, and, and makes, I mean, you sort of, you know, can tell a Jason Reitman film, but he also you doesn't, can. you know, he doesn't, he doesn't repeat himself though, in sort of the obvious ways, you know? So, uh, you know, each one is really, a, its own unique self. And before Juno came along, he had no intention of directing any script that he hadn't written himself, but then, uh, he read Diablo's brilliant script for Juno and, uh, actually handed it to me 
at a poker game handed me the script back in the days when people handed people scripts. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just, just said, uh, and I had, I had sort of welcomed him into a, an established poker game at that time because I asked him if he played poker and he said, not really. And I said, perfect. Uh, <laughs> You're in. We'll, Bring we'll a lot of money. money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, like after, you know, the first four times he played with us, he became one of the best players at the table because he's just a super smart, annoying guy. Yeah. Um, but he handed me the script and said, you got to read this. It's great. And didn't say, you know, I'd like you to play the dad, you know? Yeah. So I read the script and, and I'm, th and I'm falling in love with the part of Mac McGuff, you know? Uh, and, uh, but then thinking, well, let's be realistic. You know, he's going to get, you know, some big movie star to play that part. So maybe this one scene part or that one scene part. And then, uh, I called him, uh, the next day or a couple of days later. And, you know, I was just trying to sort of chat. So, Hey man, uh, how's it going? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good script. And, uh -huh. and he was like, dude, we want you to play Mac McGuff. I was like, Oh yeah. He and Dan Dubecki were, uh, putting that together at the time. And, and really they went out on a, on a real limb, uh, casting both Ellen page and me because Jason, Jason knew when he read the script that he wanted me, he wanted Ellen, uh, he wanted Allison Janney. Yeah. He wanted Michael Sarah. I mean, he knew most of the cast uh, in his head already. And he also knew that it would be a hard sell because the producers wanted, you know, the young pop star, you know, at the time who was oh, really? becoming a, a, a film actor. And they wanted, you know, they wanted somebody established, you know, yeah, to yeah. play to play my part. And right. Um, so uh so Ellen and I, and Ellen was just coming off that movie, was it Hard Candy? This, that were this horrible, I mean, great film where she had played this, this victim of this kidnapping who'd been starved. And she was, I mean, she's already a tiny little, you know, 97 pound thing, but she had starved herself. And I mean, she looked like hell, yeah. um, uh, probably 87 pounds. And, uh, and she and I uh, did a full on old school screen test together. And, you know, Jason went and, you know, sold us to, uh, the powers that be the money people. And, uh, you know, we got to make the movie. Yeah. And that was obviously huge in my career because I, I, I had done, you know, some kind of high profile stuff like the Spider-Man movies where I was this over the top, you know, screaming guy and, yeah. and people, people knew me as the bad guy from Oz and stuff. So it was a great opportunity. Uh, and especially, you know, became what it became. Yeah. To see, yeah. The kinder, gentler side of, of whoever that, bald white guy is yeah i thought it was and, and also there there was something unique about the language of that movie there was a patter to it that oh, uh, brilliant uh, brilliant yeah, colloquialism that uh, that uh, diablo created that was uh, and and that ellen you know and 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 the rest of the uh, especially the young actors you know really ran with so brilliantly yeah, it was. I it was it was great. All, everybody was great. It did sort of. It was. I was happy to see you in that role. Yeah, I was traumatized by Oz on some level. I watched it <laughs> every week, and it was a relief to me that you weren't a monster. But it took you about. It took about a decade for you to erase whatever Oz did to me in terms of how I looked at you. Well, yeah, and, and then, that was that was one of the things that you know when 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 they first asked me to do Oz, and I I realized what a huge opportunity it was, but I also realized, you know, if this takes off, uh, it's going to be hard for me to you know get away from. 
right? And, and hard for me to do anything other than the Nazi bastard of the week on every you know procedural. And uh, and I actually expressed that to Fontana in a in a meeting. And I it, after he got done looking at me like, are you kidding me? You know, like this 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 guy that's making you know four hundred hours a week, you know, is uh, is thinking of turning down this career changing opportunity. He uh, he said uh, he said, look, I understand that. I appreciate that. That's you know really smart and forward thinking of you. And he said, I'll tell you what, sign the contract, sign the six year deal. He said, shake my hand, and if you ever want out, I will kill your character off the next day. Really? Just between you and me. So so it's a, it's a win-win. I want you to do it, and I want you to feel comfortable doing it. And then, uh, and then the other blessing was, you know, months after we finished the first eight episodes of Oz, it was only eight episodes per season, uh, they asked me to play the shrink on Law & Order. So... I'm playing the psycho here and the psychiatrist there. And, and right away, audiences that had never seen me before, are, at least some audiences, are seeing, uh, you know, two very different characters that I'm doing. So that that helped me not get pigeonholed the rest of my life. Yeah. And then you became, but, right. And you become a character actor, not just a lunatic. Yeah, exactly. Which is far preferable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, when, what was the first Coen brother movie you did? Uh, I had auditioned for them a couple times, uh, didn't get hired. Yeah. Although one time there was a film that they had offered me a part in, but yeah, but because of Oz, the part was to play this, you know, Southern racist Nazi, you know, and I was like, ah, just, no, I can't, (laughs) I can't, I cannot do that. Please. Maybe this part, that part, the other part, you know, even smaller parts because I was dying to work with them, but but they have such a specific vision, you know? Uh, so that one didn't work out. And then I auditioned for the lady killers uh-huh. and, uh, and they put me through the ringer. They put me through the ringer every time those guys, because, because they always have a, such a specific vision in their minds of, of everything. I mean, w- when they're writing the script, uh-huh. they're already in their minds. They're, they're in the editing room doing the final cut. Right. I mean, they, 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 they're so thorough and brilliant. So I was very different physically from what they saw the character as in the lady killers, but they kept coming back around to me, you know, and, uh, and finally the last time I auditioned, uh, it was the two of them, you know, you know, sitting on a couch in a hotel suite somewhere, I I guess LA probably. And I, and I read, you know, two or three of the main scenes for my character, uh, Garth pancake. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I, I did the last scene and, and they sat there and, you know, looked at me for a beat. They looked at each other for a beat. And then, and then Joel, he goes, well, damn it, JK, that's exactly right. <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. And I was like, Oh gee, well, thanks. That's, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, that was one of the best times I ever had because Tom Hanks was such an awesome, you know, sort of movie star slash team leader, uh-huh. you know, to be doing that with. And, and the four of us who were playing the, uh, the gang of, you know, misfit knuckleheads, uh, all had a great time together. And, uh, and, uh, as usual, as I found out, as usual, I did a, a little part in burn after reading. I remember that. That was a funny part, a really funny part that like, considering that I did the whole thing in one day. Yeah. Uh, really paid off brilliantly. The scenes with David Rashi and myself were just like 
just teed up everything in the entire movie for us to get to pay him off. Yeah, there's a couple great beats in there. You know, when you when you have to troubleshoot the situation, that's very funny. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, do you make a how do you do, do you make a big differentiation when you know that something's written to be funny? You just got to play it straight, right? Really. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the the vast majority of the time, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if 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 the intention isn't there, if it isn't, you know, grounded is the sort of actory word, you know, uh, then then it's just, you know, what? How? What do you mean? Silly and, Teach me and that not one. believable. Right. Teach me the grounded yeah. one. It has to the intention has to be grounded in reality or in the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, both. You know, right. I mean, I mean, you you know, you you still have to have an objective. You still have to have something that you're after, and some place that you're coming from, and some place that you hope you're going. And uh, right. Uh, if if that's not a part of uh, a part of uh, the uh, not, not not even necessarily the style but but the substance of of what you're doing then it's just uh, you know you can laugh at stuff but but if you're going to be with these characters you know especially for you know an hour and a half or two hours in a feature film if if you don't believe them and care about them yeah why would you it's going to get pretty old after a it's while it's so but... ma- it's so funny cuz so many comic so many comedies like big comedies just just throw that whole conceit of character in the garbage in the third act and i find it annoying yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that you know what i mean it's weird yeah 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 like you know you're going with it you're like all right i'm going to suspend my disbelief enough to enjoy this thing and then like what's happening now this is yeah, stupid yeah. Yeah, I don't. Why are how are they yeah, now it, on the moon? Yeah, that's uh, not yeah. supposed to matter at that point. But working yeah. with the Coens, though, they they it's so the the primary takeaway is they know exactly, you know, what they want, and they, and oh, dude, they're and they're and they're they're so low key and and obviously just you know genius and brilliant and and that that you know that line of dark comedy that they that they straddle so brilliantly and 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 i mean they can make a foot a film like uh no country for old men yeah you know uh and then and then you know and then something zany like the lady killers or or burn after reading right. and uh and do w- what are really vastly different films but but if you think about it have a very similar sensibility and just like being low-key cool guys to be on the set with i think sometimes actors have a difficult time with them at first because they don't do that thing after a take where they come up and go great that was oh that was great that was great yeah Um, yeah that was great you know they just they they just come up and they kind of they kind of stand there and they go okay yeah Yeah. let's uh let's do the next um you know (laughs) and if you're if you're one of those actors who's ego like really needs that feedback you're, you're in the wrong place you're working with the wrong guys <laughs> yeah but but there are a lot of actors that do that i mean a lot of directors i guess you know like you said earlier that you learned a lot from a lot of these directors i mean most of the time directors when they hire an actor they're like they know exactly what they want that actor to do they're hiring you because of what you do you know they're not there to teach you how to do it they want you to show up yeah. ready to do it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And whether it's whether you're, a, you know, like when I was beginning and they're looking at you on tape, yeah. you know, and going, yeah, that's it. Or whether it's, you know, you're an established guy. Yeah, right. I mean, they're, they're certainly not, uh, you know, they're not in the business of, they're not, you know, college professors. They're not in the business of teaching. But- well, yeah, but there's this idea, I guess, I, I had a naive idea that, you know, you, it's a, some sort of collaborative process where they're you know, helping you make choices. Or I mean, I guess some of them guide you if you're not hitting it right. But most of the time, it's like, do the thing. 
and like yeah, do it different. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but but where the brilliance lies in a, in a guy like a, like a, a Jason Reitman or Sam Raimi, the Coen Brothers, is is those little adjustments where, you know, you're you're obviously you know you're in the ballpark or you wouldn't be there to begin with, you know, but but they're not getting exactly what they want, and 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 the, the communication, the way they're able to communicate and and get out of, and that was one of the things I noticed about Jason in, in the first film we did together was. His ability to to deal with a vast range of actors, you know, some really established, some young and nervous, and you know this and that, and you know, some more open to direction than others, and you know, and and really able to uh, to effectively communicate and get his point across with with anybody, and that to me. Uh, probably the because I'm not all that visual a guy I don't I don't appreciate you know the brilliant cinematography and the, uh, the and the creative vision right uh, you know right uh, as much as uh, some movie people do uh, to me that's that communication that ability to communicate with uh, a wide variety of actors is the main attribute that I really respect and admire and appreciate it sure director. right right so that they can you know you're all it, it is a collaborative work to honor the vision of the the director and the writer and you know or, or the or how they interpret the work so you know if they can sort of uh in a nuanced way and in a, a you know a, an encouraging way make that thing come together I mean that's the whole trick you know where they're not an asshole you know, because you hear a lot, yeah. <laughs> hear a- and not being not being that is a big part of it too. Yeah. yeah, which is another another common thread between the directors that I that I first of all have really enjoyed working with, and second of all have worked with multiple times. And you've worked with some assholes. No, never, not in show business. <laughs> nah. I wasn't going to ask names. I was just going to ask <laughs> if, of course. Yes. Right? <laughs> Yes. And, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, yes, directors, actors, I mean, you know, craft services guy. I mean, you know, they're they're everywhere. But uh, yeah, you throw the craft services guy under the bus. (laughs) By and large, I've been I've been fortunate and, you know, mostly been surrounded by people that you don't mind being surrounded by when you're working for 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Yeah. And like, I, I have to assume that. Well, obviously, but like to get a a fucking. I don't know why I'm saying fuck so much with you, but it happens to get an Oscar, <laughs> you know, for whiplash at, you know, at, you know, at that age, after that life you've led, that must've been like just the best thing in the fucking world. Yeah, it was all right. Ah, I mean, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> no, it was, uh, uh, I mean, honestly, I'd had this, uh, uh, this sort of, stick in my rear for for my whole life uh-huh. about about the whole concept of awards sure, sure. you know and, and 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 for you know for creative artistic things so yeah i get it uh, and you know and and nobody i mean you know with a few small exceptions you know nobody would ever really been wanting to shower me with them anyway I, so I'm, I'm in the so same was, boat buddy and i got the same <laughs> attitude about them how would yeah right? they don't, they're bullshit right they're bullshit yeah what do they know yeah. what do they know <laughs> So, uh, I mean, honestly, I was, you know, when yeah. that whole thing was just taking off and we, we were the, you know, the bell of the ball at Sundance uh-huh. and all that, uh, which I didn't even go to. Uh, but uh, but I was talking to, you know, the powers that be, uh, the, the Sony Classics guys, uh, uh, Tom and Michael, about, you know, this is what's going to happen and there's going to be all this and it's going to get a lot of attention and there's probably going to be nominations and yada, yada, yada. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, no, no. 
Yeah. No, not interested. Thanks. I'll be, you know, I'll be at home with my wife and kids or working on whatever's next, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really kind of had to get talked into it. And again, it was Jason Reitman who, who kind of talked me into like, look, you either, you either need to do this, you know, or you can be that guy and you can be like, no, 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 I'm an artiste and I'm not going to do all that. Yeah. Or he said, or you can do it. And obviously everybody's telling you to do it. And, and there are reasons you should do it for your career, for the good of the movie. Yeah for Damien, for Miles, for, you know, but he said, here's the reason that you really should do this. He goes, everybody that you've known your whole life from, from your best friend in second grade, before you moved away from Detroit to all of your, you know, fourth cousins. He goes, all of those people are going to be so excited and so happy and so thrilled for you. The people you were doing theater with in Buffalo in 1979, you know, all these people, it's, you're, you're, and obviously your close friends and your family, Mm the real reasons to do it, you know, that, that really sunk into me. And, and my wife and I had a, a long heart to heart about, uh, you know, because it's a whole thing, you know, the whole like award season is it, it, it's like a, you know, it's like a real gauntlet that you, that you have to sort of commit to. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, yeah, once, once we decided that it was something we could do as a team, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and Michael and Tom at, at Sony Classics, you know, said, uh, yeah, sure, we'll bring your wife and your kids along if, you know, if, if you want them to come to whatever, yeah. you know, this festival or that, uh, you know, awards thingy. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, I mean, ultimately it just became a snowball rolling downhill and the movie was so brilliant. And, you know, Damien had written me the part of a lifetime and, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the all the statues kept you know, getting handed off to you me. won every award. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. So really, by the time the the Oscars came along, it was it was. I mean, I had friends who were like, "Dude, do you know you're like a thousand to one in Vegas?" I mean, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. You, I mean, there's no way they're not going to give you this trophy. So when they when they finally announced my name, it was almost more a sense of relief than like how big a schmuck would I have been if they just said somebody else's name? Oh, right. Yeah, right. Right. And then, by the way, this is one of my favorite little little uh, aspects of that whole thing, because I mean, you know, I, I sort of expected it, but obviously, you know, there's a billion people watching across the planet, and you know, you're in the Kodak Theater with every famous actor you grew up watching, you know. Um, so I was a little nervous, and as I uh, uh, walked, up, and I also didn't ever like totally write an acceptance speech. Uh-huh. Like, I kind of always had a theme in mind. You know, for the SAG Awards, I want to talk about actors and about supporting and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, I, and I knew that if I was fortunate enough to, you know, have somebody hand me a, an Oscar, that, that I wanted to talk about what's most important in life, uh, which is family, right? So, so I'm kind of, you know, formulating my thoughts and, and uh, walking up on stage. And uh, uh, Lupita Nyong'o is, the, you know, going to hand me the trophy. Yeah. And, and I... I reach out with one hand to take the trophy and I reach out with the other hand to shake her hand. Like we're, you know, two dudes making a business deal. And then I realized, Oh no, or it's Hollywood. You're supposed to do the fake, you know, kiss on the cheek yeah. thing. So I, so I kind of awkwardly go in for the fake kiss on the cheek thing. And I'm sure you can find this on YouTube. Gave her a little headbutt. Did you? Kind of, kind of headbutt in the beat there. Just not enough to take her down. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, and then went on with my speech about, uh, you know, about my wife and my kids yeah. and call your mom and, uh, you know, all, all that stuff. In the moment that you did the headbutt, did you know you'd done it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. They- and, I, and I was just, 
I was just glad that there wasn't a house laugh because because it was subtle enough that most people didn't know. But it grounded you in the moment, huh? Yeah, it, it did bring me back to earth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it looks like they actually made up new awards to give you an award for 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 that, for that role. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it, it was it was crazy, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was uh, you know obviously a beautiful experience in every way. That's and, great. You know, certainly hasn't hasn't hurt the number of scripts that are coming my way since then. And have I always made uh, the best decisions? Uh, no, but uh, how do but, you uh, decide you know, I, I, now? Well, I'm telling you, I still ninety. I, I still feel like I'm learning. I mean, I'm a senior citizen officially yeah. this year, uh, but I, I still feel like I'm learning how to make those decisions. And I, and I, 90% of it still for me is just, you know, what's on paper and uh, uh, is, is the script there? Is it, is it great writing? Mm. Uh, is it a character that I, that I, you know, understand where he's coming from uh, and somebody that I want to play? Is it funny? Right. If it's a comedy, is it is it moving? If it's you know something dramatic, and uh, and and that's you know that's ninety percent of do I want to be involved in this project, and then the rest of it becomes logistics. It's like yeah, yeah what's the know, time? It's, Where it's is it shooting? In, is it shooting in Kathmandu? I'm not interested because I got kids in school, and I and I don't like to be away a lot, you know. Um, and uh, you know, and then you know who's in it? Who's you know? Isn't it you know? director this that the other thing but uh but i one of the things that i don't take into account still is you know do i see that it's you know going to be a big success yeah. or you know get a bunch of awards or or you know uh, does it have that kind of uh pedigree to it i i still just try to gravitate towards stuff that i you know fall in fall in love with because it's good yeah and your your wife is in is also in show business, yes? Yeah, uh, Michelle Schumacher. I've done uh, a couple of films that she's directed as well. Well, some short films too. But we started out as you know theater actors, actors yeah. together. Uh, she's uh, uh, I was basically Robin the Cradle. Um, oh yeah, I was in my I was in my mid thirties when we met, and she was in her mid twenties um, uh, on that Peter Pan tour with Kathy Rigby. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, and and. So we're doing our theater actor thing, and then once we got married, and uh, uh, the uh, the baby started coming along, was just about the time I was getting the film and television thing kind of rolling and off the ground. And um, so she, uh, you know, you can't be doing a play on Broadway and you know have your character go through you know nine months of pregnancy. So uh, not without a rewrite. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so she became a, you know, a brilliant and dedicated, uh, full-time mom for a long time. And then, you know, once the kids were, uh, uh, uh old enough to, uh, you know, be in preschool and this and that, she and some friends started putting some little short films together. And, uh, yeah, her last film, uh, was a beautiful little, uh, indie film called I'm not here that, uh, that features three actors playing the same character. I play him as obviously an old fart. It's available on Amazon Prime. I'm not here. I'm going to go. I, I, uh, it's, oh, it's Keckner's a, in it. I know Keckner. Yeah, I'll check that out. Keckner is a kind of a. I guess I guess you got to call it a cameo uh-huh. for Keckner. <laughs> yeah, and and believe me, uh, going in. Mandy Moore, love Mandy if, Moore. If you're going to Mandy Moore, Max Greenfield. Uh, I mean, it's great, great cast. Sebastian, you know, really, really wonderful cast. Because you know, because again, it was a script that that my wife Michelle and and her writing partner Tony Cummings 
put together that, you know, once it got out there, there were tons of actors who, who wanted to get involved in this for, even though it was, you know, paying like super low budget scale, nothing. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the good thing about those movies, whether it's that or Juno or Whiplash or, you know, whatever is, is, you know, everybody's there for the right reasons. You know, they're there because they love the story that, you're going to collaborate and yeah, tell yeah, for sure. there for a, for a, for a money or a big career break or this or that, or to seven, you know? Um, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful movie, but if, but if you're a Kechner fan and you think it's going to be, I just know him. you know, Anchorman three, no, no, no. it's not, it's not the usual Kechner. It, 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 it's usually, it really, my, my, my reaction when I saw his name was like, I'm glad he's working. You know, I'm not, it wasn't like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that, that's always my, you know, and I love Kechner too. Yeah. I mean, we go back a ways too. So, uh-huh. so that's, that's always my reaction when you, when you see any of those guys, you know, that you've worked with over the years and you see their name on something. Yeah. Oh, good. His, yeah. his nine kids in Kechner's case, his, his 19 <laughs> yeah. kids are going to, going to have another meal. <laughs> exactly. Well, buddy, that was uh, it's great talking to you, man. Hey, you too. This is really fun. It, it worked out really well. And, uh, you know, congratulations on everything. And it's, uh, you know, you're a good dude and it's good to see you you're so busy. Thanks, son. You too. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. All right. So that was good. He's exactly like you thought he would be, right? Uh, you can watch the limited series Defending Jacob on Apple TV Plus and the film Palm Springs on Hulu. Go back and watch Oz. Go watch Juno. Whiplash. Now I will play some fairly simple, but nonetheless heartfelt, dirty blues music. Enjoy.
monkey. Lavanda. Le